Are scary movies even more scary when they're real? Well, we've got some ideas on some that might be. Yes, welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. And today it is the top five, our top five horror documentaries. That's right. And who do we thank for this? I forget. It was Charlie from Burns Pub, who also is a listener, but we know him best from Burns Pub. (laughs) Yes, yes, that was a great idea. Um, So we got into this and got some uh, interesting ones to talk about. A couple that we've talked about before, uh, some we haven't, so it should be fun. And uh, speaking of Charlie, uh, he came out, he was one of the many that came out to Fright Club Live. Man, it it had to have been the best turnout we've had yet. It was the drunkest turnout we've had. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. We like to lead as many categories as we can. That's right. Uh, Yeah, it was Fright Club Live this past Wednesday. A bunch of fun, a bunch of great uh, horror movie lovers got together uh, to drink a few and to uh, chat each other up and then to go in and see Slither. That's right. I want to thank the Gateway Film Center for hosting us and and our happy hour and our movie and our whole series. And just thanks to everybody who came out. It was so much fun. I love that movie so much. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Great one to start off with. This was the first one at our new home that we hope is going to be our our permanent home. It's off to a great start, and we look forward to... uh, Number two, and that will be the August uh, edition, and it will be Compliance. That's right. True crime. We'll look at some true crime uh, horror before that happens. Yes. Very, Um, very horrific, even more so when you think that it is very much based on a true event, which... Which kind of ties in with today's documentaries. But before we get ahead, before though, we do that, uh, last week, uh, and actually sort of a tie-in with Slither, we talked about the best horror comedies. And a couple of people who showed up for Slither, John Dean, who's Fright Club member number one, he, he took issue. He, he doesn't like American Psycho. He thought that was a bad... He thought that was bad. We disagree with you, but... Well, no, you know what? I'm not surprised by that, because uh, I, I think there's prob- that's probably a, not an unpopular opinion. I think uh, a lot of people may not really... Put that in a comedy category. In a comedy category, or if it's a comedy cat- category, not not number one. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. So so yeah, it's a point well taken. We we do disagree, obviously. We, yeah. But uh, it's a point well taken. And and I, then, I can see it. Yeah. And there are a couple. We got a couple online. Rachel Willis on Twitter. She really wanted to see uh, American Wealth in London, which we should have at least mentioned. Yeah, That's crazy. We and then have. also, actually, uh, in this in a similar uh, vein. Dog Soldiers came up on Twitter. Interesting. You know what? I mean, it is funny. I wouldn't think of it as a horror comedy because it's so scary. (laughs) But it's funny. It is funny. Yeah, it is. So a couple of good, couple of good ideas that we left off. I don't understand. I don't really. uh, I can't believe we left off American Werewolf in London, especially as often as we yell to each other, (laughs) "Enoof." We do that no matter what comes up. uh, We'll just yell at each other, "Enoof." I said, (laughs) "Enoof." When he's talking to him outside the slaughtered lamb. The slaughtered lamb. We do uh, love that movie. Yeah, yeah, I love is. that movie. It is a, it's, a, it's a bunch of fun, as all those were. So, yeah, apologies for, for leaving that off. I don't know how we... I don't know. We left that, left that one off, but... Uh, Sheer idiocy. Yeah. A naked American man just stole my balloon. <laughs> That's all we're going to do on this episode, is just quote American <laughs> Werewolf in London. That's to make up, uh, make up for uh, but actually, leaving it off. So sorry for you that. and your bad British accent, make yeah. me think of, we got a couple of good uh, episodes coming up soon. Next week, I'm really excited about this one. Um, uh, Melissa Starker is going to join us, and we're going to do the five best feminist horror movies. Yeah, that'll be interesting. It is. It's. I'm excited to do that one, and I'm, and I'm excited that she's going to join us. And then the week after that, our friend and sort of boss, <laughs> Craig Hunter from ScreenRellish.com, which is based in London, if you're not aware. Craig is going to join us, and we're going to count down the best British horror movies, and we're very geeked about that. So he can look forward to uh, many samples of my bad British accent. Exactly. Just like yes. Corey did with my <laughs> bad Australian accent. <laughs> jokes about, this is a knife. 
I'll try to curb it. I really will. <laughs> to see but, what you can do. But those are no, those are gonna be good, especially um I'm looking forward to the the feminist episode. Not only to hear to probably learn some things, uh, to hear hear the thoughts from you two, but uh, that's I don't think that's really talked about. Much. No, uh, you know what? I think you're right. I think uh, horror gets a bad rap for being uh, the opposite of feminist. Well, but, it often is. Yeah, no, it absolutely often is. But there's been a lot, a lot in the last, you know, in the last not only I mean a lot in the last few years, but but for a while you can you can pick out films that are full on feminist ideas not just like not just like they don't hate women they're not not just these are the not misogynist movies you can choose but you know have a real strong feminist thread to them and i'm excited to talk about that good yeah that looking looking forward to that so that's the next couple of weeks and then we get into as i said get into august our next episode of fright club live compliance so a lot a lot coming down the pike and uh man we we thank you as always for the incredible uh, response to this to this podcast which kind of got the ball rolling uh on on all of this so uh We'll just uh, we'll just dive into uh, the top our top five documentary horror movies uh, again. Thanks to Charlie for the idea; it's a good one. And, and we'll start with one that we've talked about on a few occasions because mm-hmm. we talked so much about the movie that it is about, and that's from 2012. It's Room 237. Uh, my interpretation of Shining is that there's many levels to this film, and this deeper story. And has its uh, birth, I guess, uh, in the idea that uh, Stanley Kubrick was involved with faking the Apollo moon landings. So I think this is the reason we like this movie. It's a movie that celebrates nerds who are nerds about The Shining, and we clearly are that. Not only that, it, ce- it really ce- celebrates a lot of things. It also dives into film criticism, it does. Which, which, of course, we do. And the different ways films can be picked apart, uh, sometimes in a wrong-headed nature, uh, and, and and nerds and 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 people that uh, just go crazy conspiracy theories. Oh yeah, you know, not just about movies, but about anything. Oh, just the stuff that they can pick out oh, and run my. with. It's, it's the most fascinating it movie is. to watch. And it introduced me to a, a new a new word or a phrase, which is always good in documentaries. It teaches something. Kubrickian scholars. <laughs> I did, didn't know that was that was a phrase. Kubrickian scholars. That's right. But I mean, that's the thing about Stanley Kubrick is that all of his movies just really promote obsession you just you obsess over why did he choose to do that right there it's got to mean something right um and you know and and i think most of the time when people spend a lot of time on it it's it's one of his more well respect is 2001 or you know but i love that this is about the shining i love it and and one of the things i love is all the little weird things you didn't notice that they actually point out like as we've said before that Mr. Torrance is was waiting for an, when, while he's waiting for his interview. He's just thumbing through a Playgirl magazine <laughs> that then he just tosses back on the, there in the, on lobby. the end table in the lobby yeah. for anybody to come. I mean, that's oh right. my god, that's hilarious and Little bizarre. Things. Yeah, but it, it dives into not only the the general fanaticism around The Shining, but the, these how many four does he does he focus on four, four specific four very specific there there are like sort of you know passing references to a lot more but he really gets deep into four specific fairly lunatic theories yeah about yeah. And, and then it gets into them and then uh the evidence quote-unquote evidence i'm making the air quotes the chris <laughs> farley evidence air quotes that uh, the people have to back up their theories, uh, all these scenes in the movie, and, oh, this is what he really meant, and look at this, and that, and this. And uh, one has to do with faking the moon landing. Yeah. One has to do with the plight of the American Indians. Oh, yeah. It's really strange your your, your uh, believability when you just have to, to listen to this, and they are just so dead serious. They are. And, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, Rodney Asher is the director, and I don't think that he... 
He's not mocking them. It's not, you know, he's not. He's not fully believing them either. He's just open. He's as he's asking us to be just open, just listen. And at the same time, like, you know, it's not so much that you're watching it. So in case you come across a theory that you buy, you're watching it just sort of to revel in film criticism, just discussion about film in the way people would discuss any other art. Yeah, I don't think he's mocking them at all, because that would be the totally wrong, wrong way to go. But but, you know, excuse me if when I'm listening to some of these, I just think you're nuts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, maybe that's on me. But uh, so you have a little bit of fun, though, with with these uh, theories. But also, if you are a big fan of The Shining and if you're not, why not? Uh, you really do. You just get to dive into it in, in such a, a, a meaty way with all the, the little tidbits, like you mentioned, that that uh, we didn't know little trivia bits, but also how he sets up shots and what's in the background that has to be. You know, on purpose, and a director like Kubrick, of course, everything is on purpose, and and that's almost really what was more fascinating to me is just to dive into a movie like that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there are a lot of movies, there are a lot of documentaries that are about horror films, usually in a sort of a compilation sense, and we didn't want to include all of them, but a couple that I really like, one in particular, Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, uh, looks at uh, the history of American horror, and it's it's narrated by Lance Henriksen, which is probably why I like it so well. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, I love him. Um, but it's you know it's fun it's interesting it's it's got a lot of great you know uh, you know Wes Craven is John uh, uh, John Carpenter they talk to a lot of really great American horror movie um, filmmakers and it's just interesting and another one very much like it uh, going to pieces which is specifically about the rise and fall of the slasher film the movie sort of suggested the slasher film is over which I don't think is true but it's a very popular subgenre for a lot of people really and and so I think it's just a, an interesting movie to watch not scary at all just sort right. of one of those picks them apart nerdy movies I like those yeah yeah well that uh this one room 237 is not scary no uh, obviously no. it's not so no. it's on this list not because it's scary but just because it it focuses on a horror movie and does such a great job of doing it. Now, some that we'll get into here in a few minutes are a lot more scary, yeah. but this one, even though it's not scary, it's very hi- highly recommended. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The next one the next one is pretty scary, actually. Yeah, it, it certainly has scary elements to it, and uh, that is number four on our list. And actually, the same year, I didn't realize that, the same year as Room 237, that is 2012, My Amityville Horror. I didn't want to be the Amityville Horror Kid. I've been running away from it, and it finally caught up to me. They got very deep with something dark and something evil that they totally didn't understand. Satanic history, devil worship, mind control. I was possessed by a spirit that I could not get rid of on my own. Maybe this is just manifestations. Maybe you imagined all of this. I just wanted somebody to believe me. Show me the evidence. What took place in that house is a, a true personification of evil. This is just a fascinating movie, you know, and and I wouldn't have thought that it could be because the Amityville Horror has just been beaten to death. It really has. And I remember seeing this when it came out, seeing it in the theater. And one of the things that struck me, I, I guess I over the, the intervening years between the last of the Amityville Horrors and, and, and this movie, maybe I fell into believing an urban legend. I thought I was under the mistaken impression that years ago, the Lutzes had gone on. TV and and admitted that the whole thing was a hoax. I don't know how I got that, if that's out there as an urban legend, and I bought into it, but I remember thinking that. So I was surprised at the time by this entire movie, uh, that this this guy who was involved not only is still telling the tale, uh, right. but he's 
obviously deeply troubled. Yeah, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's a documentary specifically about Daniel Lutz, who is the oldest of the the kids and the Lutz family. Of course, the you know the Lutzes move into. High Hopes is actually the name of the house <laughs> in uh, in Long Island, uh, where uh, a, a man had killed his whole family. And they move in, and they live there less than a month. They leave, they leave their belongings behind, claiming that you know they were tormented by spirits, right. basically. So it became the movie with yes. you know, James Brolin yeah. and uh, his hair. You know there and are twelve, a total of twelve. Are you serious? Amityville horror movies, remakes, documentaries, reboots. Man. twelve. Wow, I know. So, um, yeah, that's the, the, the original family, and he was the, the son. And Yeah, the, Daniel was the oldest of the, of the three kids who lived there. So it dives into his story, uh, the, the story of, of how people seek to debunk the story and how he then kind of fought back against that, how the whole thing has affected him. And not only is it, it has scary elements when it gets into the fact that he is still saying that these, these things happen, but also it's sad. It's very sad. It's very sad of the toll it has taken on him as a person. And the thing is, he's he's just kind of a mesmerizing character. Yeah. You just cannot take your eyes. He's so intense and he's so honest when he's telling you these stories, although he will not take a lie detector test. Yeah. You know, but he it's it's like he is truly convinced himself, but the more he talks about it, he clearly hated his stepfather, George Lutz. Right. There are a lot of issues there. And the more you listen to him and he's got a very childlike sort of presence you just get the feeling although this is never stated in the movie you get the feeling that this is just a you know a, a, a coping mechanism that a boy created in his mind to deal with abuse i that's that's the, the they don't ever state it specifically but you come away thinking something awful happened in that house and i yeah. don't know if it was supernatural at all and it's also it, to me, in watching him on screen, it goes back and forth between, like, like you said, a, a gentle type of soul, and then other times, even question the authenticity of what he's saying. Just for a second, you almost expect him to get violent. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so you have, his, on one hand, this very, very, you know, uh, gentle, uh, to use that word again, and then just very, very... Uh, you just see a flash of a it. A flash of it, and, and at the thought that you are telling him that, you, that he's not being truthful. Right. Uh, it's directed by a guy named Eric Walter, who's a self-proclaimed Amityville fanatic, who long before he ever made this movie, uh, uh, maintained a, a database style website with just, you know, scores and scores of, of news articles and, and pieces of information about the Amityville horror, you know, uh, true or not. And um, so I think that uh, at first blush, you sort of expect it to be something that really perpetuates the story. And it is it really the strength of the movie is that it's a character study of yes. this oh, one yes. man and how everything affected his life and it's it's very moving yeah which in so so many instances that's how a movie scores Mm -hmm. when you take a story like this and make it personal and make it tied into this one person very very much so uh that's what makes it a successful movie although it does have the little offshoots of uh you know diving into the particulars of the the claim about the supernatural but no they talk to a lot of psychics and you know people like that who are you know absolutely certain that it it is true and whatever hell is the gateway to hell is in the basement i don't know they say that they say it in the movies yeah but But, uh but no it definitely works because of the character study and also because after a while you start to see the parallels between not just this story but think about any any story any trauma that anyone has ever been through and have somebody doubt their their claims yeah. no i want to see proof right i want to see yeah and then you you think to yourself how would that just you know tear you apart yeah. and and uh so it has those sort of parallels between other types of of headlines that sad headlines that you might see but it, it in the end it's just as you said it's very 
compelling because of this this sad story of this guy. You know what? Actually, there are, there are two other movies that that to me are, are uh, sort of similar to this in in that way. That they're you know they shed light on truth, but is it really true? It really happened, or but but do did we get the whole story in the most fascinating imaginable way? And one of them, which I know you love, which is also from 2012, The Imposter. That was from 2012 was. as it well. It was a big year for documentaries, man. Yeah, The Imposter. I cannot uh, recommend that enough. Not scary, it's, but if you just like... But a, it's a true crime. It's a and true it's, crime. And there's, there's murder, there's crazy, yeah. but it's insane. It is insane. That is a movie. Uh, I, would, I would recommend going into it. Don't Google it. Don't no, re- no, know anything about, about the story. I swear, I spent most of that movie just watching it with my jaw on the floor. Well, it's funny. So we watched it at home. George got a screener. He was going to review it, and I was not going to watch it because I had other things to do, and I was incapable of leaving the room. I, know. I couldn't. I couldn't leave the room. It, it, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. It's not, hor- it's not a quote-unquote horror, but if you're interested, please check it out. The Imposter. I, yeah. I, I will be shocked if you don't love it. Anyway. And, and then the other one that this reminded me of, which is uh, from 2003, a lot of people are familiar with, is Capturing the Freedmen's, oh, yeah. which tells a story... Uh, a lot of, and, a, and a lot of it is from the point of view of a man who, as an adult, is a clown. That's what he does for a living. He's a clown, which makes the movie that much sort of weirder. It does. It does. And it yeah. tells the story Clowns. how his, yeah, his father and his brother were arrested and imprisoned for allegedly, no, sorry, they were convicted of, you know, mass pedophilia during a computer class. They taught a computer class. And, and um, it's the most, un, like, off-putting, weird movie it's so intimate and it's all of this footage they filmed all kinds of weird stuff just family stuff for regular family stuff yeah. and then the whole time you're like now am i su- you don't know am i supposed to believe that they did not do it right because they just are as a family not thinking anybody else is watching them, they're just filming it from this they're such a they're an unusual family but they're very loving you would never expect anything like they're definitely odd but then there, the film is very open with evidence that, well, he, the dad did collect child pornography. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the dad did claim to have molested his own brother as a child. And, you know, all this stuff. It's, it's the most just un, unsettling movie. Um, it's so odd. It's so well put together. Um, and it's, it's um, you know, and it's, it's not scary. It's sad. It's weird. It's weird. But it's, it's memorable. I'll give it yeah, that. And, and you have, when watch, and watching this, uh, this home video footage that they, that they filmed, you, you have to stop and ask yourself, well, what if you almost forget that that footage was not taken for this movie? Right. It's like, yeah. if not, why are you taking this? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really and it's really weird. Uh, it's and it's awful compelling in a just a can't look away. Yeah. Sort of way. So those two kind of fall under the same uh, umbrella as as my Amityville horror. Those types of very personal uh, stories with with incredible historic events, yeah. which you can choose to believe or not. Right, exactly. Uh, but the but whether you believe it or not, the doesn't uh, stop the fact that the movies are well worth seeing. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, number four, my Amityville horror, and number three is one I think a little less known. Uh, back in two thousand nine, it's called Cropsy. because we have a boogeyman living on Staten Island all those years. That image forced a lot of people to say, that is the killer. It's sort of like putting a puzzle together. You know, he likes to be the center of attention, the keeper of the secrets. So I think it'd be great if you could speak for your What if we just do audio? safety, I will not go on. Do you think they're all around us? Yeah. <sighs> oh, my God. I think he's possessed. I really think that he is demonized and possessed. Now, this one is scary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this one, you know, it, it's just, it's uh, uh, an investigation of an urban legend that came true. Uh, and the, the filmmakers, 
Barbara, for, forgive me, Barbara, if I'm going to screw this up. Um, Brancaccio, I hope. Sure. Right. Let's go with that. And Joshua Zemin. Thank you, Joshua, for having a more pronounceable last name. <laughs> uh, they grew up in Staten Island uh, where, and, and it's funny, there's a uh, there's an old like um, Friday the 13th style ripoff movie that the Weinsteins wrote and directed years ago called The Burning. And yes. the bad guy, the Jason, right, the bad guy in this camp is named Cropsey because he that's that is that's just the boogeyman name right. in certain areas of New York City and including apparently Staten Island. That was the name of this, uh, you know, just everybody's sort of camp scary boogeyman was named Cropsey. And so then there came a time period where and the, the story was usually that he was uh, an escaped mental patient and he kidnapped children. and He took them to the woods and he killed them. But then eventually that actually happened. And and the film just leads you to and it's it's just very effective in the way that it, it sort of suggests, you know, all of these are rooted in some kind of reality. And, and it just makes you feel like everything that scared you on vacation or at camp or, you know, just when you were a kid, uh, they do a really good job of putting it together. But it is a very compelling and scary, creepy story. Yeah, it is. And then also it becomes a bit of a character study when they arrest the guy. Uh, and he become and and the kind of person he turned very slow, yeah. You know, not quite, not much intelligence. And is he being taken advantage of? Is he being you know railroaded into yep. someone they want him yeah, to be? Right, right. Uh, and he cannot defend himself mentally. Yeah. Uh, that that's sad about it, but it it doesn't um, it doesn't really draw judgments. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's more interested in exploring, I think, the root of the urban legend. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and actually, and it, in, in doing that, it reminds you of, and I could not get, I could not get a copy of the, the, the movie Titicut Follies, but that's what it reminds you of. It's a, it's a famous 1967 documentary of Massachusetts Asylum. It, it's just, it was shot inside a Massachusetts Asylum, and it's, it's apparently just horrific. And uh, this, this film, Cropsey, uh, shows footage from inside an asylum that, you know, was eventually uh, closed down and is, you know, is like the source of a lot of the urban legend that it's in from this asylum. All these people came out. Right. And it, and it, and those, those scenes in this movie are graphic and, and horrifying. But then I think you think of it again when he is being, I'm not going to say railroaded because you don't know whether he did it right. or didn't do it, but it's just a way of uh, a way of looking at a, a how the system still hasn't really figured out the best way to be fair with people who uh, have handicaps, mental handicaps. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a fair way to put it um, because you don't you're not sure is he getting a fair defense. He he obviously cannot defend himself. He right. doesn't have the mental capacity to do that. Right. So is he? been you know surrounded or has he been associated with people who have his best interests at heart right um or no, probably not right or are they feeding this because they want they want to have somebody yes. they want they want someone exactly. to pin this on exactly um, and the the filmmaker actually just one of the filmmakers joshua zemin went on to make another movie called killer legends where which is like episodic it's four or five different urban legends that they um investigate and it, you know what it's got some moments to it but it's not particularly good to tell you the truth the one that this reminds me of is actually the whole series of films about the memphis three west yeah. memphis three yeah so you've got three the three-part paradise lost and then also a film called West of Memphis. So there are four documentaries about the three teenage boys in West Memphis who were convicted of mutilating and killing three eight-year-old boys, one of whom, one of the, the convicts, uh, was borderline uh, mentally handicapped. Right. 
And basically, they're just all, they were just three nonconformist kids who stuck out. Goth who, kids. Yeah, yeah, goth kids. And they, they fit the mold. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the thing is that, you know, they, the, the small rural area turned this into uh, Satanism, right? Yeah. And the, one of the reasons, and I know that you know this, one of the reasons that I've always found this uh, entire thing so fascinating is that the, the, in, the, in the trial, original trial, the um, expert. The expert witness. Thank you. The expert witness is named uh, Dale Griffiths, is the sheriff of Tiffin, Ohio. I'm from Tiffin, Ohio. He's our sheriff. He was my sheriff growing up, Dale Griffiths. And he became, he was on 2020. He was on Geraldo Rivera, 60 Minutes, all the time in the 80s and 90s, talking about how basically the cornfields of Ohio are hotbeds of Satanism. Sure. It was, it's the, it's a weird way to grow up that, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, so, you know, I I dress like that, right? I wore black concert t-shirts. I wore black nail polish. I'm, you know, it's like. And, and, you know, people would, they would look at you like, you know, maybe. And then of course, and it's funny because I was telling, I was just saying this yesterday, I had a poster in my room from the video, Eyes Without a Face, right? Billy Idol wearing leather, crucifix is on, he's on his knees in this big circle of candles, you know? My parents are like, yeah, yeah, I think hope is probably okay. Like, you know, it's like you couldn't possibly take it seriously, but... But in the film, did, you can yeah. see where he really would whip up a frenzy yes. and people ran with it. And these three, these three boys went to prison for like 18 years. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why it's, it's also very similar to, to the themes explored in Cropsey. Because, yeah, when people get whipped up by a frenzy, oh, yeah. it, it, it is. It's like a wildfire. Yep, it and is. that happens in so many different walks of life, especially now with the Internet. My yeah. Lord, you get an Internet <laughs> fire going. Forget about it. But uh, so those those three are, are, are under the same themes as Cropsey, uh, the Titicut Follies, which you couldn't find. No, I couldn't. Uh, West of Memphis, the trilogy, and then Killer Legends, because uh, number number three uh, in our top documentaries was Cropsey. And number two, and this one actually is would probably be number one if we were going by quality of film, because it's such a great movie. You know what? It, uh, it might be the best documentary I've ever seen. It's one of the best, and it's from 2012 again. Wow. I know. Big year. Uh, called The Act of Killing. There really aren't too many words to adequately describe this movie. You just have to see it. Uh, it's an incredible achievement. Not only the fact of what this director was able to do, the access he was able to get, but then how he presents it, the visuals in, in acting out these horrific events. And it all has to do with finding and interviewing a warlord and getting him to act out and, and feed into his uh, fascination with Western movies and act out some of these horrific acts of mass genocide in Indonesia that he and his, and his uh, lieutenants took part in. And it's, it's, it's gripping, it's exhilarating, it's ghastly, surreal. it's surreal, it's incredible. It's just incredible. And somehow it didn't win the Oscar. It, w- it was nominated it was. that year for... Uh, for Best Documentary Oscar, it lost to uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, which I enjoyed very much, but, but that, not no, even the in the this. same. This is like nothing you have ever, ever seen. It absolutely is. It is like nothing you have ever seen. Um, uh, you know, uh, and what's fascinating is, is well, you know what? Everything, everything about it is fascinating. Uh, the culture uh, of, of Indonesia as he was there with the, the warlords who are still, you know, prominent and sort of the overarching still current belief that... They did the right thing in this this genocide, and 
you know, I mean, some of the people that are involved are just such weird characters and and the way that they recreate these scenes as if they're recreating, you know, as if they are big, you know, Hollywood movie scenes, you can see how the way that the perpetrators view it and the way that the, you know, the rest of the citizenship view it are are wildly different. I mean, I've, it's just, it is, it's, it's just simply unlike any other movie ever made. Yeah, the director is Joshua Oppenheimer, and, and, and uh, many people on the crew are listed at the end as anonymous. That's right. Because there is real fear and real danger of, of reprisals yep. from this, uh, and, and what he was able to pull off in, in, in getting the uh, death squad leaders to reenact their, their mass killings in whichever cinematic genres that they wish. And oh, that yeah. fe- then when you see the oh, kinds yeah. of Western movies that they're fascinated with, and they're just their glee at being able to do this, uh, the, man, the main leader, Anwar, uh, it is a fascinating figure, especially as you see the toll it starts taking yeah. on him as the film goes on. You can definitely see he has some some real um, deep feelings about understanding maybe a little bit better what he has done. Yeah. Now his top lieutenant there, I don't know what his name was. Could he's <laughs> no? He is just gleeful about yeah. it, and I think it's I think he's the one that says. Um, War crimes are decided by the victors. Yep, uh, which is just chilling. Yeah, it's like there is nothing in his mind that says he committed any war no. crimes, and it's it's just an incredible, incredible movie. We're trying to describe it, but trust us, if you haven't seen it, when you see it, you will know. Oh, there's I, I couldn't describe this to anybody. No. The, the, some of the visuals, how they how they make them play out, and now actually he's got a follow up coming out. Uh, very soon, it's called The Look of Silence, and that's about a family that survives the genocide confronts the men who killed one of their brothers. And we actually just found out we're going to get to see this here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so very, very uh, excited uh, to see that because, uh, boy, if this first one was any indication, it's, it's going to be just, just gripping. So not scary in the traditional sense, but, but just ghastly and, and horrific in a, in a can't-look-away, as you said. Surreal is a great right, word right. Uh, to describe it uh, from 2012. Please look it up if you haven't, haven't seen it, and that's The Act of Killing. And we only had it at number two because uh, number one in our list is definitely scary. In fact, one of the scariest movies we may have ever seen mm-hmm. in terms of the effect that it has on you after you're done watching it. And that is from just this year, and it's called The Nightmare. I began hearing voices and screams and crying. I would hear all the sounds of hell. And that is when the shadow man would come and he would walk disjointed. It's a kind of horror that is worse than like in the movies. You are going to die. And this is from Rodney Asher again, the guy who directed Room 237. Right. So, you know, and it's it's he's got he's got a very quirky idiosyncratic uh, style. Uh, but again, he just asks you, he clearly is very open, open to, he does, he hasn't made up his mind. He's very open to the information that he's sort of pulling in and he's kind of asking you to be, to do the same thing. But basically what it comes down to is it's a documentary about sleep paralysis, which I did not know much about. I didn't either. (laughs) Uh, And the way he lays it out is pretty brilliant. And eventually you're already in, you're already watching. And then it, that they drop the ball on you that it's might be contagious yeah and all of a sudden you're like 
Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it talks to people that are that are experiencing, have experienced, and continue to experience sleep paralysis. Which, by the way, if you don't know much about it, just sounds horrific. Oh to my pe- god! Some of these people that have to deal with this, and then it acts out some of the nightmares that they have mm-hmm. on a continuing basis. And then, as you said, then somebody drops the bomb, like, "Oh, I didn't ever have this until I heard about it." Right? And my you're girlfriend. Like, what? My girlfriend told me about it, and then, and just like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" Yeah. Um, and, and which is, you know, what it comes down to for me, if a horror, a horror film's main goal, I think, is to scare you to when you go to bed. Like when you're in bed, you're afraid. And I was afraid to go to bed. Yes. I thought if I have this, I will kill someone. Exactly right. <laughs> it, it, you just stare, stare at the ceiling going, do I dare? Right. Do I dare? <laughs> because if they've given me this, if I catch this, you know, sort of an it follows type of thing <laughs> through watching this movie. It, it, yeah, it does. It gets under your skin. Now, you know, some of the recreations are not the greatest. No. Uh, but they're effective. Uh, and it's really a no-frills documentary. It just goes from one person to the other, mm-hmm. just with interviews. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, in but act- they're so sympathetic. They you, are. you just your heart breaks for them, and they they seem to all be in like a different sort of mental space the one guy there's one guy he he has he has it every day he's had it every day for years oh. and he's just nuts yeah he's just nuts you just how do you how do you cope oh and then there's another one who, uh, another man and he's he is he's so tender and he says you know he sometimes can go for a couple of months without it but then if he talks about it you're then it comes back and you're like Watch, don't I'm going, talk about but you're on this movie oh my I god know. what have you done to yourself i know well because i suppose you could see that it would be therapeutic for them to talk about it i don't know some of them have, have they talk about how the 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 uh, ways that they've reached out to try to get help, mm-hmm. and it hasn't helped. It hasn't you know improved the situation, and it's just it really is. It, it's it's number one on this list just because of the effect it has on you after you're done right. watching it. Uh, you you will not forget it. Trust me. And, <laughs> and it does have, even though they're not the greatest um, you know effects in the movie, there are some scary images. Oh, there are for sure. Yeah, there um, are. So 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 that's why it's at the top. At the top of this list, just from this year, so still maybe out there yeah. in theaters, or I know it was here for a while. Um, but yeah, interesting. It's from the same same director as Room Two Thirty Seven. So he bookends. He bookends <laughs> the list here at number one is the Nightmare. Uh, check that out. But but be warned. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if you check have, it out or don't. Yeah, check it out <laughs> or don't because truly, truly, it 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 is scary and by far the uh, the scariest one on this list. Uh, our top five horror documentaries again. Thanks to Charlie for the uh, for the tip. It was a good idea, and we'll look forward to the next couple of weeks once again. Yeah, we're going to have Melissa Starker, uh, senior feminist correspondent, Melissa Starker, on next week so that we can talk about the best. I'm excited about this and the best feminist horror movies. And then the following week, uh, our old buddy Craig. Senior British correspondent. That's right. And we're going to talk about the best British horror. So that they should both be great. I'm excited for both of those. Very excited for those. And the next, as we said, the next uh, Fright Club Live is happening uh, the second weekend of... Second Wednesday. Second Wednesday. Second Wednesday of every month. So it'll be the second Wednesday of August. It's going to be 6.30 for a happy hour, 8 o'clock. We're going to watch Compliance. Yeah, we took advantage of that happy hour, didn't we? We did. Woo! That's the way to do it, though. (laughs) That's the way to do it. So, uh... Check us out as always. Uh, keep this conversation going. If there's some documentaries that we missed, uh, like we missed uh, American Werewolf in London, that we should have talked about, please let us know. Twitter is an, is an easy way. We're at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also, uh, MadWolf.com is the website, and Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. So, plenty of ways, and we love to keep it going. Yeah, you can also get in touch with us at GoldenSpiralMedia.com, which is the lovely people who host this podcast. Just leave us a message right there on the website. Yeah, give us your thoughts. And until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. <laughs>